Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Thank you for getting up and being with us this morning. It's going to be a good day. Absolutely going to be a great day. I'm going to hit you right in the face with something you can begin doing immediately to build a great year. One of my mentors told me many years ago, he was a frequent guest on CNBC, a finance committee of a team of people, and he made, his name was Larry Winget, and he made, made this statement, I don't know how many years ago, nothing in your life will ever get better until you get better. Nothing. Nothing in your marriage. Nothing in your sales if you're in business. Nothing in your finances. Nothing will get better till you get better. And if you listen on the street, if the government, if my wife, if this, if my boss, if this, the whiner will never have a great future because you don't want to get better. So you've got to get smarter, get stronger, and you become more effective. Everybody can improve. And so, a takeaway is, nothing will get better in this new year unless you get better. And the good news is, everybody can get better. Everybody can. And by God's grace, we will. We want to. So, how do you make the most of a new year? I begin in Genesis 8, verse 22, a brand new series. We'll go for three weeks, and I'm going to drive this point home over and over again. And honestly, you'd have to fall dead not to get it. Okay? It's that simple. Genesis 8, 22. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall never, ever cease. Four things will remain on the earth as long as the earth remains. We live in a world where a lot of things come, and boy, they go. Electronic shelf life, eh, about 12 months, and then you've got an outdated car or an outdated iPhone or watch. Uh, cultural trends are now three to five years, and a whole culture shifts. Everything changes rapidly. So today we make more decisions faster than in any generation previously. And in the midst of rapid change, God says there are four things that will never change as long as the earth remains. Listen, day and night, summer and winter, cold and heat, and seed time and harvest. If you catch this simple truth, Bingo! It's going to change your life. Now, notice three of the four things that never change, you and I have no control over. I have no control over day and night. I have no control over summer and winter, or we'd stay in summer. I have no control over cold or hot. And those three things do not care where you live. They don't care whether you're young, old, sick or healthy, rich or poor, male or female, black or white, educated or uneducated. They don't care. They're coming, baby, like it or not. You sleep in unbelief, aware or unaware. They're working 24-7. Day and night will work the same over everybody in San Antonio, Texas today. Heat and cold will be the same. Cedar will be the same. Summer and winter will work the same for everybody in San Antonio. Truth never contradicts truth. 
And truth, all truth, runs parallel. Every time God makes a list in the Bible, all things in that list are equal. Just because He mentions it sixth or seventh doesn't mean it's less important. It's of equal importance. For example, when God says in Proverbs 6, 16 that He hates seven things, He hates them equally. He hates a lying tongue just like He hates murder. So whatever is true about cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, is also true about seed time and harvest, which means as day and night impact my life every day, seed time and harvest impacts your life and my life every single day, even when I'm sleeping. Now, when most of us think about seed time and harvest, I hear it only in respect to our offering or our finances. But Galatians 6 verse 7 in the Phillips translation says, a man's harvest in life. Now when I say in life, you got to be thinking about more than just your money. That's about your marriage, your children, your relationship with God, your health, your job, your ministry, and your finances, because all of that makes up what we call your life. That means that every area of your life is impacted by seed time and harvest. Not just my offering, every area of my life. Now, if you only see seed time and harvest in relationship to an offering, you're going to have a very small life. So we've got to see it in relationship to all of our life. So God says as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. Life on planet earth can never be separated from seed time and harvest, just like you can't live on the earth and not be uh, participating in day and night, summer and winter, cold and heat. Well, Rick, I'm resisting it. Well, good luck, Sparky. I have a winning lotto ticket too, sure. If you're on this earth, you're living in day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter, and seed time and harvest. All of our life is impacted by all four. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 says, and the earth was empty, a formless mass, cloaked in darkness, and the Spirit of God was brooding over its service. Theological scholars speculate something happened between verse 1 and verse 2. Nothing happened in heaven, but something happened to the earth. The very nature of creating something means you give it form. When God created man, He gave him a form. Same thing for a woman. When God creates anything, He gives it form. So in verse 1, He creates the earth. But in verse 2, it now declares the earth formless, in darkness, in chaos. So if it's without form, it's not created. So they speculate, and again, different scientists that are believers have different theories on some of this stuff. I wouldn't take a bullet for some of, some of it, but some of it is very, very plausible, and it's very interesting. I just pointed out to you, a lot of scholars believe something happened to the earth, and a lot of theologians believe it refers to when Satan was cast out of heaven into the earth in Revelation 12. In Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall to the earth with great wrath. Now, 
if that theory is true, we don't know how many years are between verse 1 and verse 2. Could have been 200 billion years. We don't know. It doesn't say. I guess if it was important, God would have told me. Time means nothing to God. He doesn't wear a watch. But for you over 60, it's a big deal because you're running out of it. (laughs) So, God is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Time means nothing to Him. So, verse 3 of Genesis 1, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now the firmament refers to the atmosphere. Verse 7 and 8, thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. This is not the heaven where God dwells. It's the atmosphere around planet earth. So the evening and morning were the second day. The water below refers to oceans, lakes, rivers, and streams. The water above was a canopy around the earth before the fall of Adam that produced a greenhouse effect. Again, theologians and those in science have differing opinions, but one of them is the canopy theory. Just like I quoted verse 1 and 2 being the gap theory, notice they say theory, so don't be divisive about it, but they, reg- they reckon it reduced aging, it held back harmful radiation, ultraviolet, it produced equal heating globally because mammoths have been discovered in Siberia with buttercups undigested in their belly, yet frozen solid. So there was a time when it was lush and tropical where God had human beings somehow protected under this canopy. Early man lived hundreds of years. In Genesis 5, 27, Methuselah lived 969 years. Whew the oldest man recorded in the Bible. After the flood, God gives man 120 years. Now, most of our problems are not the ozone, it's the fork. Yeah. And mankind grows evil, God decides to destroy him. So God opens the windows of heaven, opens the water stored in the earth, flooded the earth with water. Again, scientists and those in Christian theology sometimes speculate, where did all that water go? To the polar ice caps primarily. As you read about creation in Genesis 1, it says in every verse when God creates something, God saw it was good. In, In the ancient Hebrew text, and I spent about six hours going back looking at rabbinical writings in the Hebrew, which was the most boring thing I ever did. That word evening and God calling something night referred to a time of chaos. And the word morning refers to order. He called it light. So the whole creation story is about six days in which God steps into a chaotic, formless mess, and He limits chaos and increases order. So in recreation, beginning in Genesis 1-2, God steps back and into the earth filled with chaos, darkness, and says, let there be light, let there be order. Now in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, God is not the author of confusion, of disorder. 
but of order, shalom, peace. So each of the six days of recreation ends with the same statement, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And at the end of the sixth day of creation, recreation, God never says that again. In every day, God is moving created things forward with one goal in mind. He's moving the earth out of chaos into order. And everything He creates is going to be part of maintaining order and limiting chaos. Okay, so, so far that's the main thing, limiting chaos, creating order. You okay with that? All right, there's, so on the sixth day, God makes man, and He never repeats that phrase again, because everything needed to maintain order and limit chaos is now in the earth. So God rests. Now the second law of thermodynamics says everything is moving towards chaos. However, the second law of thermodynamics does not prove itself true in the earth. Because in the earth, it appears everything continues to struggle towards order and replenishing itself. And some notable scientists, though not believers, have commented that it appears the hand of God is on the earth, whatever their, their God happens to be. And the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Every time God says that in the ancient Hebrew language, there's less chaos more order. Less chaos, more order. Verse 26, Genesis 1. Then God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So, so what is God's n nature? What's His likeness, His personality like? Order. A synonym for order is peace. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. Let everything be done decently and in order. Everything God does has order to it. God is not the author. Well, my life is, there's, I'm in such confusion, okay? Number one, God didn't do that. Number two, it is not God's will you be in confusion. And when you walk into confusion in a marriage or in a business or in a church or in a ministry, if there's chaos, that's not God. That's the enemy. God is a God of order. Order. I got order in my home. I hope you have order in your home. We're a spiritual home. In fact, we have order here. It's not every man for himself. Some jackrabbit can't jump up, run down to the front to shoot off his mouth. It says, know them that labor among you. Why? There's order. There's order and trust and proven character. You go to the average little bitty Pentecostal church and every Tom, Dick, and Harry can jump down, run, interrupt, total confusion. And Paul says they're going to say you're mad. So we believe God operates through the Holy Spirit. We believe God has gifts with the Holy Spirit, but they're all decent and in order. And if yours is chaotic, you're going to get a spanking. And you're going to have to sit down. All right? God is a God of order. So ask yourself, is there order in my marriage? Is there order in my business? Is there order in my life? Is there order in my health? Is there order in my finances? Or are they in just disarray? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Okay? Now, you know why you crave order in your life? Because you're made in the image and likeness of God. He made you with some simile like Himself. People crave peace in their lives. They'll smoke it, inject it, rub it, blow it, inhale it. They'll do anything they can to try to find peace. 
So in their lives they want peace, in their marriage they want peace, in their career, in their health, in their finances. You hear people all the time, oh, I just, I want peace. And that's why we have laws in the natural world, because we crave order. We have stop signs, light signals, lanes, speed limits. Why? To limit chaos and maintain order. I go to Jakarta, Indonesia, beautiful people, 14 million of them. However, there are no laws when it comes to driving. It's every man for himself. So you got a family of six on a little moped motor scooter, and you've got cars, and you can't move, and you go to an intersection, and you just do three Hail Marys or praise or cross yourself or blow incense and take a chance. It's total chaos. Same thing in Lagos, Nigeria. I've been there too. And I just held my breath thinking, these are my last days on earth. Nothing. No order at all. And you cringe because you don't know it, but you live pretty much here in this culture with some order. Yes, you do. We crave order because things run smoothly when there's order, right? Shoot. This is open book quiz. This is easy. Ain't got to anything hard. So, Romans 8.22 says, the whole creation is groaning and in travail or labor. For what? For the sons of God to act like the sons of God. And when the sons of God are acting like the sons of God, what are they doing? Restoring order, limiting chaos. So what's God given us to make that happen so we can create the year that we want? A new year, a good year. Verse 26, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over. So God has given to man dominion, which means the right and power to govern and control. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the likeness of God he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when Adam and his wife were put in the garden, the outside of the garden was in chaos. That's why God told Adam, go out and subdue it. Have dominion over it. Bring it into order. Limit chaos. Maintain order. When Cindy and I rented a house when we moved here, the house was pretty, but the yard was a weed patch. It was filled with fire ant mounds, no grass, just weeds and crabgrass and junk. And I thought to myself, I'm a man of order. I don't like this. I want a pretty yard. So I got weed killer. I got a commercial guy to help me start by spraying the whole thing from a tank truck. I got fire ant bait, and every day I kill weeds, I killed fire ants. And it was a battle for weeks to get that thing. But after a year, you could walk in my yard, lush grass, no fire ant mounds, weed be gone. What what happened? I subdued it. I took dominion over it, and I brought it into order. That's exact. Now, that's a simple illustration, but God wants you to do that in your marriage, in your finances, in your health, in your career, in life. Everywhere you go, He wants you to bring order, peace, shalom, and limit chaos. 
So God gave two things. Number one, the right of dominion to maintain order and limit chaos. And number two, verse 29, He gave man the law of seed time and harvest. And God promised that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. So what is the purpose of seed time and harvest? To maintain order in your life, to bring peace to your life. Seed time and harvest work just like day and night, summer and winter, cold and heat work, which means you're never going to have a day without a night, and you're not going to have seed time without a harvest. You're going to reap what you sow. Maybe good, maybe bad, but you're going to reap it. It's a law. It's eternal. And it doesn't just refer to finance. It refers to if you sow the wind, you're going to reap a whirlwind. You're going to reap what you sow, and you'll reap more than you sow, good or bad. doesn't matter. It's just a law. It's a law of agriculture, a law of nature. Now, of the four things mentioned in 822, none of them can Satan change. Listen carefully. You sow it, you'll reap it. He can't stop that. Satan can't stop day and night, summer and winter, cold and heat. So it doesn't matter whether Satan likes it or anybody else likes it or not. Of those four things mentioned, summer and winter, cold and heat, day and night, seed time and harvest, Satan can't stop it. So God has given you and I seed time and harvest to maintain order and limit chaos. If Satan could change seed time and harvest, you and I would have nothing by which to maintain order and limit chaos. Verse 11, Genesis 1. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. Let me pause right there. Every, every seed reproduces after its own kind, okay? Cats don't produce dogs. Elephants don't produce porcupines. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. But a cat can have mutations so that you can have I picked up my little kitty cat this morning. It was cold, but then you could get an African lion. I ain't picking that sucker up. He'll eat me. That's a lion. That's still a cat. Different species of a cat, but it's a cat. So cats produce cats. Dogs produce dogs. Humans produce humans. Cows produce every seed. Oranges reproduce oranges. Some of you are sowing A seed, hoping you're going to reap Z harvest. It's not going to happen. You, go, you, 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 you sow bad seeds, you're going to reap what you sowed. You sow a lie, you're going to reap it. You sow disloyalty, you're going to reap it. You sow betrayal, you're going to reap it. You sow trust, you sow mercy, you're going you're to reap it. That's a law. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. So he says, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Why did God make a point to tell Adam and us that the seed is always in the harvest, always in the fruit? Because at this point in creation, God knew man would see beautiful fruit and eat it, and forget that the seed for the next harvest was in that fruit. Now why would that be bad? Because there's only been one time in human history when there was ever a harvest with no seed, and that was at the point of creation when God created everything out of nothing. No seed was sown. He created Adam probably did not have a belly button. He wasn't. Is this difficult? Uh, I'm wondering. You look at me strange. Why would he? He wasn't birthed. He was made. 
And by the way, Eve didn't have a belly button either. She was made out of a rib. So it would be their first child that would have a belly button that came through her womb. And if they're, so God created a, a male and a female and says, now be fruitful. If you're ever going to have another harvest, you got to sow a seed. So I reckon they got together and they had a seed and it produced another human or there'd never be another human on the earth had they not put seed in. So if there's going to be another peach tree, we're going to have to sow seeds off that peach tree into the next harvest. Same for everything out there. If it didn't reproduce, then we would finally extinguish ourselves, be extinct. Okay. So, I, would, I was just thinking, I'd rather let George do it, but I was going to go back to the evolutionary thinking to show you, you can't have a seed produce, you can't have a lizard produce a human. Okay, you have to go to school for that. Yeah, sorry. So, God instantly created the tree with fruit on it, but after that, if there's ever going to be another harvest, man will have to take the seeds out of that harvest and sow them. So remember, you and I are living in seed time and harvest every day of our lives. The fact that I woke up today says to me, hey, Ricky, I'm living in a harvest of life today. Now, how do I know it? Because there are guys that ought to be my age that didn't make it to my age. Somewhere along the line, they ran out of harvest, which tells me that sometime in my past, I have sowed seeds that I'm harvesting today called life and health. And yes, my friend, I sowed those suckers, and I sow them every single week. Don't ever mention luck to me. It's work. Inside every harvest is the seed for your next harvest. Cindy and I in October will be celebrating 42 years of marriage. That tells me that, oh no, that ain't, oh no, 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 wait, I ain't finished. That tells me that today only I'm in a harvest in my marriage. But that does not guarantee or ensure I'll be in a harvest next year because a lot of people in our same category will be in divorce court. They won't have a harvest next year. See, if I want to guarantee I'll be in a harvest next year in my marriage, I better find a seed today that's in my harvest today and sow it back into my marriage. A man's harvest in life is comprised of the seed that he sows. So if you want to reap a good harvest in your marriage, you can't do it once. You have to do it continually. And my seed is inside my harvest today. Now, we mentioned health. I, I am aware that there are some things you can't control. You found a tumor. You didn't do anything wrong. You're a healthy lifestyle. I'm aware of that. Okay. But we can, can I speak in, gen, in general? That's not the problem in America. I, I thank God there's a seed in my health today that I've got to take and sow so I can be in a harvest of health tomorrow. I don't presume. So every morning, except Sunday morning, I use my health harvest to go and sow some seed out of it at the gym so I can reap another day of health tomorrow. Now, a lot of unhealthy, not all, a lot of unhealthy folks are simply reaping what they've sown for years, and they know it. You can't drink a Diet Coke and be healthy. You can't eat one nice meal and be healthy. You can't tell your wife you look nice one day and have a good marriage. No, you got to sow when you don't feel like it, when it's not convenient. Even if you don't think it's so, you got to sow. 
Women, the same thing. You work at this thing. Farmers go out and sweat and plow fields and plant seed. There's nothing nice about it. There's nothing comfortable about it. It's inconvenient. It's costly. But if you want to harvest, you got to put some seed in there. And you got to take it out of the harvest today. So the fact you get along now, you know, I've never seen an unhappy wedding. And that love ain't going to maintain you 40 years down the road. No, no, you got to keep working at this thing or it'll just slowly deteriorate. See? So, same for my finances. I got to keep sowing my seed. I may have some money today, but if I don't take some seed out of today's harvest, I won't have anything to reap tomorrow. Every seed, every area of your life today is being impacted by seed time and harvest, just like it's being impacted by day and night. Now, what's the point of seed time and harvest? Maintaining order in my health, in my finances, in my relationships, in my career, and limiting chaos. See, Genesis 1.11 tells us that the seed for your next harvest is in today's harvest. Then in verse 29, he makes an interesting statement. He talks about your seeding seed. Now, most of you are city folks. Some of you are, are agriculturalists. My grandparents were far, had farms and uh, raised peaches, and I learned something about farming uh, in that community. But it says, and God said, I have given you every herb that yields seed, that's seeding seed, which is on the face of all the earth. So I want to make sure, like a farmer, I plant my best seed, my seeding seed. So every good farmer will tell you, if you want to maintain the quality of your harvest, you have to maintain the quality of your seed. So what does a farmer do? He looks at the tallest corn, the fullest, richest grain in his field, and he doesn't eat that. He stores it. So guess what? This past summer, you didn't eat the best vegetables. The farmer's family didn't eat the best vegetables. That seed went back in the barn to ensure a high-quality crop next year. He sowed out of it. So, make sure you sow your best seed, your seeding seed. So, out of every every harvest, every good farmer will take the best seed and use it. Let's try this. Horse racing. I'm not a horse racing guy. I like NASCAR, but but let's take horse racing. You win the Belmont Stakes. You win the Preakness. you, You win the Triple Crown. That, that stud horse has got bloodline flowing in him that makes him a champion. And when he wins these races, he gets big million do- multi-million dollar payouts. That's not where he gets rich. He gets rich off a stud fee. That's where they take old champion boy, introduce him to some young ladies, pay an enormous fee for fun. For the horse, I guess. And they try to perpetuate that bloodline. It's called breeding. They breed animals, strong bloodlines, healthy champions. Why? To reproduce champions in the future. They don't take him after he wins the Preakness and mate him up with a swayback mule. Some of you, in your marriage, in your money, you just, you trying to mate with a swayback mule. You wonder, why can't I get a champion here? Well, you're not so, it's all about the seed. You want to sow your best seed, not what's left over, not a dollar and a half, 
I'll give so I don't want somebody next to me to think I'm stingy. I'll wad up a dollar bill and throw it in there. Okay, you're going to get something out of that, a dollar's worth. But that's all you're going to get. You're not going to get $530 million payout after taxes. <laughs> well, why not? Because you sowed a crappy seed. That's why. You, you, can't, you can't get more than the seed can produce. It's just that simple. You mistreat your wife, you stay gone, you stay out, you neglect her, you don't do anything together, yet you want a happy marriage. Then you walk down after you've screwed it all up and it's almost too late. And they say, would you pray for me for my marriage? Well, I will, but it ain't going to get pretty just because I pray for you. You've been spending a couple of years building this mess, baby, and it's going to take a while to sew yourself out of this, if at all, right? Yeah, this is just straight talk. Welcome to Dr. Phil. Yeah, I don't know. So if you stop sowing your best seed, guess what happens? Over time, the quality of your harvest deteriorates. Over time. It's not instant. Take two farmers. Start them evenly. One plants anything. The other plants only the best seed. In 15 years, the best seed farmer will buy out the other farmer. And we say, I wonder how that happened. Survival of the fittest? (laughs) Yeah, fittest or best seed. If you want your marriage to go the distance, you got to sow your best seed. If I'm jet lagged and tired traveling international and Cindy wants to talk with me, I better, I better find my attention span real quick and rein it in because it's shrinking and my spirit's getting irritated because I'm tired, but I have to remind myself, hey, pal, you better sow your best seed right here and now for the quality of your marriage. That will help you answer and speak correctly and attentively to each other. Why? I want the best harvest in my marriage. I want to limit chaos and maintain order. Do I feel like it? Heck no. Who are you listening to? No, the people that get the best results don't always feel like it. I don't feel like pen. I don't want to talk. I'm tired. I, we'll talk about that later. Ooh, not a good thing to say. Not a good thing to say. Now, how do I know? I did that in the past. I know it's not good. I, yeah, I didn't like that harvest. I don't want it. You can have them. I don't want anything to do with it. So it, you make it a habit. It takes, you, you can learn to do it. It takes habit. It's the same thing about, it's about your health. You, you, you don't get unhealthy in, in a week or a month. This is something you've been doing for years. You, you can start, in a, you can be healthy today, and then you start eating anything you want, let your body go to town, uh, don't do any exercise at all, and in time, your health will deteriorate until you've got all the plagues of Egypt in your body. Well, I don't know what happened. I guess you just got better genes. No, I got better discipline. That's all. The only difference is now genetics plays a factor in some areas, but overall you can still, even with genetics, limit the chaos and maintain order. I can take control of that thing with my diet, with my exercise, my attitude of mind. I can. Laughter does good like a medicine. You don't become the 600-pound man on TV overnight. And you don't get it. I, I sat next to a guy on American Airlines flying to Seattle. And I'm sitting next to the guy. The guy must have weighed 350 pounds. It took two seat belts to go around him. And it was a dinner flight. And he ordered everything on the dinner, including a chocolate ice cream sundae. And he said, a Diet Coke. <laughs> I said, I thought I'd... 
I thought I'd seen, I thought you, you'd be, yeah, I, I, that's self-inflicted damage. It's preventable. He's going to have high blood pressure. He's going to have type 2 diabetes. He's going to have, he's going to have a monster of diseases in his body and medications that he didn't have to have, doesn't have to have. Now, we're here to help people get better. I want you, but nothing's going to get better till you get better. And I'm saying he's sowing his seed on that flight, and he ain't got a gland problem. He's got an arm problem. I'll put you in solitary confinement, and I'll show you your gland problem cannot outweigh solitary confinement. It won't. It won't for me either. And it, I hate going to the gym. I hate lifting weights. I hate hurting myself. I hate it. Every day I go, I hate it. But I like the results. But I hate it. It's not convenient. And so if you guys are looking for feel good and convenient, you're barking up the wrong tree if you want to end up with a good harvest in life. You're going to have to learn to sow your best seed. I mean, come on, haven't you tolerated all the chaos you want? Haven't you had enough? Same thing for your health, relationships, your children, your finances. You give a lesser quality seed, you reap a lesser quality harvest. Simple law. You'll get a harvest, but it's less than the best. In fact, you reap exactly what you sow. But if you're going to sow it all, why not sow your best seed? Pay the price of discipline or pay the price of regret. You can. A marriage counselor told me once, he says, I have never seen a case where a marriage couldn't be restored. The people that make it, Rick, he said, don't. The people that make it didn't have lesser problems than the people that don't. They just were willing to pay the price to make it right. And the people that didn't, didn't want to pay the price. That's not to condemn anybody. We've all failed, made mistakes. But listen, if you don't get control of it, the second marriage isn't going to be better. You're married to the same guy. I mean, you're still taking you with you in, into a new marriage. And unless you get better, nothing's going to get mad. Well, I'm going to change churches in. Well, fine. You're going to find broken, sinful people there too. And it won't take you but a year until finally somebody offends you or lets you down or whatever. And you'll find out, yeah, they're just as broken as everybody else. Well, I just can't find a good church. We've been in 32. I can't find me. Well, then for God's sake, find a bad one and make it better. Here, just stupid nonsense talking. Everything can improve. You can't eliminate everything, but you can limit chaos. You can maintain order in every area of your life. You know what? Until you want to, it's not going to happen. Nobody can make you. You want order, you want peace, or do you want chaos? It is a choice, and you will decide that through what God gave you, seed time and harvest. So I can begin with my finances to control my harvest. I don't have to keep paying the Powerball tickets, hoping for the big win all my life, knee-deep in lotto tickets, and broke is the Ten Commandments. No. No, no, no. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to sow my best seed. And I'm going to make a difference there. So it's a choice. You decide through seed time and harvest. How do I know it'll work? Because the earth still remains. As long as the earth remains, and I'm done, there will be day and night, summer and winter, hot and cold, seed time and harvest. And let me tell you something, it's working when you're asleep. It's, well, I don't believe that. It's still working. 
and you're the fruit of it too. Oh, Lord, are you the fruit of it? You can see it. It's going to work whether you're aware, obey, disobey, you're still going to reap what you sow. And usually, because of agriculture, you reap more than you sow. That's called the law of surplus. When a farmer plants a seed, he don't just get a seed, he gets back hundreds of seeds. So it's going to come back in greater measure than it went out. Give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For with the same measure you give, it shall be given back to you. Well, I don't know. I just don't believe I can trust God. You're going to trust God with your soul to escape from hell, and you're afraid to trust Him with a tithe. I, 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 don't, I just cannot fathom it. It's never about money. It's never a money issue. It's always a trust issue. What do you really trust? The dollar bill or God Almighty? You give me God any day of the week, I'm going to take Him versus the government. Any day of the week, I'm going to trust Him, and He's never failed me. That's all I can tell you. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.